From WUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Elise Hammond. And I'm Beth Greenman. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. This week is a special edition of The Outlet, as all of our stories come from the Women and Gender Studies, LGBTQ, Media Action, Advocacy News, and Praxis class. This is in honor of OU's Pride Week. On today's show, we'll tell you about the power of performance used to bring the LGBTQ community together. The people literally breathe together, and it's, it's a harmony typically only found in music. Plus, we'll tell you about the permanent way some people express their identity. And some religious leaders that might surprise you. We'll give you all the details and more coming up right here on The Outlet. Tucked away among the many venues of Athens, Ohio, sits the wine bar, Athens Uncorked. A rainbow flag hangs from outside, welcoming all who come. The music is subtle and calm, but at least once a month, there's a new track. The volume turned up and accompanied by the Quips of Queens. The bar is transformed into a venue fit for a drag show. The performances not only provide entertainment, but are a celebration of pride in its own. It is showtime, showtime here at Athens Uncorked! Yes, yes, and y'all ready for a great show tonight? Siobhan Pop Peterson started doing drag when they were young, though they didn't have a name for it. Now they perform at Athens Uncorked's drag shows. It's been through drag that they've been able to learn more about the art and themselves. With every performance you watch, drag or otherwise, what you take from that performance is informative of how you feel about yourself, who you think you are. Among the people who have learned from the drag queens at Athens Uncorked is Nate Hayes, the owner of the bar, along with his sister, Kathy Blake. They created the bar to be an inclusive space for everyone, recognizing that there was a need for a place for the LGBTQ plus community to feel comfortable. But it's more than just that community who comes to the drag shows. You really get all these different kinds of people. You'll get people that you would think, you know, are rednecks. You know, you get people that are very posh. You know, it's really interesting how across the board it is. The drag shows at the wine bar are for everyone. On these nights, the queens work their magic, creating community among the patrons. People literally breathe together, and it's, it's a harmony typically only found in music. And it, it's unlike anything else you can experience. And so definitely drag has the power to bring people together and to create community, and it, I'm, it does it every day. Drag queens have a long history of bringing people together. One of the most famous examples being the riot at Stonewall, where drag queens and trans women took the first historically recognized stand against LGBTQ plus injustices. A riot was the first pride. Jasmine Webb, a trans performer and the official show director at Athens Uncorked, has performed at 18 pride events in the past eight years. It's because of her predecessors that she attributes being able to perform. Well, I think, for sure, I think that, you know, that goes back to Stonewall um, and, um, for sure, the, the drag queens were the first ones to 
to start the, the Pride um, rallies and events by performing in the streets of New York City and protesting, and, and um, it was just a gathering. So now that that has paved way for all of us to, to um, entertain, my goal is just to make people laugh and smile and have fun. Webb herself has created a Pride event in the small town of Mansfield, Ohio. When she first started organizing the event, she received death threats. There was rallying and picketing against the event, and Webb and other organizers were scared there would be gang involvement. I was scared to death to perform that day, but I did it. Um, we had over 3,000 um, people come from all over the United States. People came in from everywhere to participate in this pride because it went so public. And actually, we only had <clears throat> a few um, demonstrators there, so it was very, it ended up being very lax. Mansfield Pride is now going on its third year. The pride that encouraged Webb to persist while creating the event is in Athens as well. Queens like Peterson can feel it. As someone who's always outgoing and bubbly, I've never felt more loved. I've never felt more like a mascot for my community. I've never felt more like head cheerleader as I do in drag. Peterson, Webb, and other queens perform at Athens and Corked at least once a month, sharing not just smiles and laughs, but their pride and love for their community. With Seth Eggenschwiller, for The Outlet, I'm Adriana Navarro. As more people find acceptance in the LGBTQ community for sexualities that deviate from monogamous heterosexuality, some are questioning where they should draw the line. Kink culture has been a visible part of pride events and parades in the past, the question arises whether those who practice BDSM should be accepted as part of the queer community. For Ohio University alumni Phoenix Crane, kink is an integral part of her sexual identity. Probably in my sophomore year of uh, college at Ohio University is when I started, I started doing research into the realities of what is BDSM. Kink is defined as an unconventional sexual taste or behavior. Many in the kinky community subscribe to BDSM, bondage, discipline, sadism, and masochism, as a defining element of their sexuality. There are some people, like Crane, who believe kink is an essential part of their sexuality and not something they can choose. And it has its own set of rules, its own spectrum, um, in terms of intensity and, and who you're interacting with. And while many members of the LGBTQ community feel the same way about their sexuality, they also believe kink is just not queer. Kinky people who are a part of the LGBT community also experience discrimination from within the LGBT community. Kinkophobia towards um, people who are kinky in the LGBT community and are outcasted because they think it's such a taboo subject that they don't want to talk about it. Lee Ferrero, a queer senior at Ohio University, believes while kink as an identity is valid, it does not belong in the same spectrum as sexuality. LGBTQ people have already been stigmatized so much already, and BDSM has its own stigmas, and I don't think it's very fair to equate those, especially when having more of what I consider BDSM being a preference-based kind of thing, not so much a sexuality. There has been a long battle about the designated queer acronym, but the most recent version of the full alphabet soup, so to speak, 
has grown to a total of 12 figures, LGBTQQIP2SAA. The acronym stands for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer, Questioning, Intersex, Pansexual, Two-Spirit, Androgynous, and Asexual. It is sometimes used on signs and pamphlets at pride marches, opening the understanding to a diverse community of people who fall into the queer spectrum. Some people consider the acronym to be still growing, morphing to represent a broader community of queer people. And that's where the K comes in. And I think including K into the LGBTQ ever-growing acronym would be diffusing like some of that diversity that is already present in that community. Phoenix's mixed feelings about whether K should be included makes perfect sense to Patty Stokes, a professor in the Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies program at Ohio University. If, if the acronym is there for identification purposes and you know forging one's own identity, then I can see why you might want to add the K to it. Stokes says there is a lot of confusion and nuance in what qualifies as queer. People are already thinking and writing about kink under the banner of queerness, right? While some members of the kink community are also in the queer community, those who are not LGBTQ can still identify with the queer community on many different levels. One study I read recently um, by Gemberling, Kramer, and Miller, um, they did an analysis to determine if BDM, BDSM specifically should be considered a sexual orientation. There was a lot of similar trends regarding sexual behavior, sexual attraction, and sexual identity in terms of um, the age of onset, development, uh, consistency and stability. The desire to be in the queer community is about a sense of belonging. Many queer individuals view queer spaces like Pride events to signify safety and freedom. I, well, I think it's very clear. I mean, a lot of the sort of hypersexuality that is on display at a Pride parade publicly, a lot of that is kinky in nature. And many, like Ferrero, feel that though there are intersections of LGBTQ and BDSM communities, kink should not take a forward-facing stance within the queer community itself. It's like the same way I don't think A for ally belongs on the spectrum. You're not suddenly a part of a minority group because you align with um, the queer community. But it's a complicated issue. Instead of creating clarity, we've just muddied, muddied the waters further, and that's probably okay. By saying it doesn't belong on the LGBTQ spectrum, well, it does belong, but it doesn't like fit in there. It doesn't mean that it's any less valid. That shouldn't be the debate here. With WOUB News, this is Kai Ka. In LGBTQ spaces, respect for asexual identities can be hit or miss. But being respectful goes beyond welcoming ace people into events and flying their pride flags. It has much to do with ace folks' sexualities as it does with taking their experiences into account. Aspen Wilson is a former Ohio University student who identifies as asexual. This means they don't experience sexual attraction to other people. Asexuality is an identity that doesn't get a lot of attention, and there are debates even within the community about whether it counts as LGBT. So it can be tricky for someone like Aspen to know if a space will be respectful and inclusive of their asexuality. Um, in LGBT spaces, it gets kind of complicated because some places yes, some places no. Um, I feel like the fact that I'm queer outside of being asexual makes it more acceptable to the community for me to be around. Since coming out in high school, Aspen has been to several LGBT spaces and events where they felt their asexuality was validated. 
like the Pride Parade in Cincinnati? Uh, one time I had the asexual flag painted on my face on one of my cheeks and the pansexual flag on the other. Nobody said anything to me about it. I was, you know, treated just like everybody else. Erin Renee is another former OU student who also identifies as asexual. Like Aspen, they've encountered some negativity about their asexuality, but have had a relatively positive experience at events like Columbus Pride. The ones that I've been to, it's just been like another queer identity that people have been like, hey, over here, look, there's people like you, and it's pretty cool. Pride events like those in Cincinnati and Columbus do have things like tents and vendors that sell asexual pride merchandise. And that's a really great step in acknowledging and including an identity that tends to get left out of LGBT spaces. But representation doesn't guarantee that people will feel welcome. In the case of many asexuals, a lot of discomfort comes from the sexualization that happens at these big pride events. Things like that, like people walking around, you know, with a giant cod piece on and stuff. I'm like, I just, I don't think that's necessary at Pride. And I feel like in that situation, they're not really being considerate of the fact that, you know, some people aren't going to Pride to see sexual things. They're going there to celebrate their identity. There's a mix of feeling both included and excluded at the same time. Think of it like a restaurant that serves both meat and vegetarian options. Now, imagine you order a vegetarian dish, but it's been grilled on the same grill as the meat. Even though your meal doesn't have meat in it, the restaurant wasn't really considerate in preparing your dish. When much of the dominant gay culture tends to be very sexualized, it can be tricky to create LGBT events that, well, aren't. But as Aspen points out, doing that doesn't make an all-inclusive space either. I mean, it's hard to say because, again, I'm not about censoring people. But at the same time, I feel like it should be an environment where everyone can feel comfortable. It's definitely a difficult subject to deal with, making people feel comfortable in their identities and also not making other attendees feel uncomfortable. Both Aaron and Aspen recognize that it's complicated when it comes to making space for everyone without creating divisions. Identities are messy, and there are no clear-cut resolutions. But the Southeastern Ohio LGBT Coalition is navigating the messiness to make sure everyone feels welcome with spaces that they feel comfortable in. Douglas Koala Robinson, the communications director for the coalition, says it sends out surveys, asks for feedback on social media, and holds public forums to get feedback from members of the community. So we've used that information and we took anything that people provided to us before we actually Pride uh, 2017 to go through and try to make sure that everyone's voice was heard and that, you know, we're here for the people who are coming to the event, not for the organizations that are paying to sponsor the event. He says everyone, regardless of their identity, is welcome at Athens Pride Fest 2018, which is the week of June 3rd through the 10th. Because it spans an entire week, it makes it a little easier to plan a wider variety of events that appeal to everyone. In addition to a parade, they're looking into doing a comedy night, a movie night, a drag show, and a family day with a hike and a picnic. So while organizers are trying to figure out the best ways to make their Pride events accessible and welcome for everyone, awareness of asexual identities is a step in the right direction to get people talking about how it can be improved. For The Outlet, I'm Anna Turner. Attending an affirming church is not always an option for members of the LGBTQ community. So queer people often have to seek out non-traditional ways to do faith. For transgender people who are called to serve as clergy, there are a handful of Protestant denominations that will ordain them. 
However, for those in denominations that don't offer a path to ordination, those people have to find creative ways to follow their calling. Two transgender faith leaders in Ohio are following that calling both inside and outside of the church. They are discovering that faith can be flexible in the same way identity can be flexible. I see you. Have you held yourself? I see the light. That's the revolutionary Jay Hooper leading the opening song of the self-care retreat held at Ohio University called I Quit. Jay is a humanist clergy leader and is currently a PhD student in the Interdisciplinary Arts Program at Ohio University. Jay has been practicing from a very young age. He grew up in the Pentecostal church where he learned how to preach through emulating others. So I've been doing this call since I was 13. I've always felt the, the call. It actually comes out of me naturally. Jay's call to be a preacher is very much intertwined with his identity as a two-spirit. For Jay, who is an Afro-Indigenous native and part of the Pramunkey tribe in Virginia, being a two-spirit means being able to identify with any gender pronoun. To be a two-spirit is very interesting because it is a prophetic call. Two-spirit individuals were prophetic voices within the community that actually asserted their voices through, their, through also sensuality, and their sensuality held their, prof their prophecy. In addition to that, not only did it hold this prophecy, but it held communal victory and liberation. And so I see myself as that. Jay is not the only transgender clergy who is called to be a prophet. Alex Shanks, a lay minister in the United Methodist Church in Columbus, Ohio, has also answered the call to be a prophet. My personal call is to be a, a prophet to the, to the church, to the Christian church and the Christian faith around the issue of uh, LGBTQ inclusion. Alex is currently serving that call outside of the church. Now, the only work he does directly within the church is organizing with the Reconciling Ministries Network, but his day job is as a project and field director for Equality Ohio. And I've been comfortable with that because I also believe that's the call of the prophet. In scripture, it's hard for prophets to exist inside religious institutions, and we see that uh, throughout the Bible, that many prophets We'll kind of have one foot in and one foot out if they even have one foot in at all. Um, but they're always speaking to and addressing the people who are part of the institution. Jay Hooper no longer has one foot in the institutional church because he was pushed out when he was diagnosed with HIV. That was one of the things that honestly also had, had me kind of removed from the Christian church. So immediately as soon as that was put into play, it was very quick the following week they removed my license. It was no longer ordained. Stripped of his Christian community, Jay soon found sanctuary in the house ball community. The house ball community is largely made up of queer and trans people. They use dance and lip singing and other performance art to create a community. It became my sanctuary. It became my worship. I realized with being within this community that there was so much love there that I, in some way, I guess you could say I caught the spirit. <laughs> For Jay, queer community became his church. Today, he is a humanist clergy. Humanism is a tradition for those who are non-theistic, atheist, agnostic, or free-thinking. And we are an organization and a religious organization for those who do not have a religion at all. Uh, so, it's a very unique position to be in to work with people who actually just want to be in community and they are worried about ethics and how to do the, basically do the right thing. Jay's church is not confined to a building, but instead it is wherever he finds community. Jay's queer identity has allowed him to reimagine his faith, and the same goes for Alex. 
His trans identity and spiritual journey has reshaped his view on God. It has allowed him to think of God as a gender-neutral being, which implies that God could also create gender-neutral beings. When I think about who God is, my mind and my spirit is more open to the possibilities that take God outside of these boxes that we just naturally put God in, so outside of this box of gender. I want people to be in this space and actually see themselves and enjoy themselves. Show up unapologetically. Back at the retreat, Jay's message of showing up unapologetically is a message about finding pride in your identity. And in a world where trans people are often shamed for who they are, it is a powerful message of finding belonging in yourself. My pride is situated in the unapologetic truth. And I believe that as soon as we get to a place where we can be truthful, we never have to hide who we are. For Salgu Wismath and Delaney Murray, I'm Michael Cromer reporting for The Outlet. For queer people of color, feeling at ease with their multifaceted identities can be both a deeply rich and isolating journey. And sometimes the queer community itself can make that journey more difficult. Wearing a hot pink Hello Kitty fleece, filling the air with their warm voice, is Athens resident Pop Peterson. Peterson identifies as black, Latinx, pansexual, and gender fluid. They also use the pronouns they and them. You know, I, I carry my blackness on my sleeve wherever I go. Pop's perspective on their blackness is one shared by many people of color, also known as POC. That feeling of carrying something different from many people around with you can lead to a sense of otherness, especially if you're the only person of color in the room. It's something that queer people of color, or QPOC students, tell Ohio University LGBT Center Director Delphine Badista all the time. You know, students have shared this, um, being the only person of color, being the only LGBT person, being the only LGBT person of color in spaces uh, can be very overwhelming and just othering as a whole. But this feeling of otherness felt by QPOCs isn't just limited to spaces outside the queer community. It happens in the community too. And for Ohio University student Carl Fonticella, a gay Mexican-American, that can lead to some awkward moments in his dating life. There have been experiences, not in person, only on, on apps, um, where people notice me being Mexican and it's definitely in a negative light. I definitely have been messaged before, like build the wall on Grindr before. Uh, and you know, it's just some stupid white man with a blank profile doing it to be a dumbass. Um, other times, um, I've had white boys call me, uh, call me Poppy, and I'm like, why are you doing this? Like, don't fetishize my race. While racial fetishization, the obsession with a person or culture belonging to a race or ethnic group that is not one's own, can happen to queer POC in queer spaces, for Pop, there is still a general sense of comfort in the spaces. In, a, in an LGBT POC space, there is the general assumption that I'm not being fetishized. I'm, I'm not a queer person of color in that space. I'm just a queer person. While there are now places that give students a chance to bond and find community, it isn't the only means through which queer people of color in Athens find community. In fact, 
QPOC have been able to forge small but mighty communities based on interests other than race and sexuality. I've seen so much growth and diversity within the queer POC community in the short time I've been here. We went from, you know, a handful of people having dinner once a week and ranting about white nonsense to now there are several there are several smaller groups oh well you know we're into edm but we like we like vegan food so like you know this new community represents a larger good for athens and qplc these communities give queer people of color a space to be unapologetic and proud without the constant need to explain themselves their identities or their pride in those things for the outlet i'm kenyatta whitfield when black trans activist Akima Alexis heard about the rest of four black queer protesters at the Stonewall Columbus Pride Parade last year, they knew they had to jump into action. We sat down with Akima and discussed how they felt. We got to do something. We got to do something because this is our community. Like the folks that have been arrested out of this group, they are all black, black folks. They're all queer folks. Like we got to like really advocate for our folks right now, um, especially because we'd known all of them. They had a protest at the Stonewall Columbus Pride Parade. We're beset by our police force, which has a history, a long history of violence. And Stonewall Columbus had absolutely nothing to offer. They had no response until a couple of days later. Dakima's move was co-founding the organization Black Queer Intersectional Columbus, also known as Be Quick. The group has blossomed from a group of activist friends hanging out to an organization of more than 50 people, investing all their energy into fighting for and supporting the black queer activists arrested last year, a group that's come to be known as the Black Pride Four. Be Quick says the group's legal battle is an example of how the larger LGBT community is failing to support all of its members. The Stonewall Columbus board president, Thomas McCartney, mm. is... Um, the person who testified against the Black Pride Four in um, during trial, which you know that really speaks to how divorced how divorced corporate pride is, how uh, how divorced white gay America is from the history of pride. I mean, to know that Columbus's prominent like flagship LGBTQ organization is directly colluding with the state to repress black, queer, and trans individuals, their very, you know, their, their community counterparts, it just, it boggles the mind. The irony of their name, it is just sickening. Be Quick is calling attention to the problems they see with mainstream pride. It's part of their efforts to make the community more inclusive, which they say taps into the real spirit of pride. We are planning a community pride here, and we want it to be part celebration and part demonstration. Um, we want celebration, we want this community pride to invite people from these different backgrounds, um, you know, queer, trans, people of color, undocumented um, immigrants, just refugee, disabled. We wanna have our community pride really center those per perspectives, get back to the radical essence of it, like literally get back to the roots. That value for activism is something Be Quick members, like Sadiqa Foulet, hold near and dear as a tenant of pride. Pride and activism have an interconnected history. For Zadika and people like her, that history will always be a part of what pride is, as an event and also as a feeling. 
there is a space for activism in Pride because Pride is activism. It is activism in which you are bringing light the issues, the problems, or even the good, the bad, the happy bits of a community. It is supposed to be a form of activism. Yes, it's a celebration. Celebration is activism. Celebration against oppressive states is activism. Pride is supposed to be an activist space with the history to now. This upcoming Pride season, look for Be Quick. They'll be out in Columbus celebrating and being proud through activism. For The Outlet, this is B. Irwin. People show their pride in many ways. Michaela Ashburn takes a look at how media students show their pride through their work during this year's 48-hour shootout. Friday, February 2nd, students gather in a conference room in Baker Center. It is the beginning of the 48-hour shootout. The students involved will spend every hour of the next two days creating a three to five minute film. A representative from each team will be surrendering their phones as they enter the room. While they're in the room, they will learn their team's film theme, hidden phrase, and mandatory prop. This information is not just given to the representatives. They will have to take part in a series of games to get it. Once all the games have been played and everyone has all the information that they need, their phones are returned and the shootout officially begins. This year was the 16th 48-hour shootout. Dara Liaskos, a junior studying media and social change, recently took part in the 2018 48-hour shootout. You can have as many people on your team as possible. Like, I know one team had 15 people. Our team had four people. Um, so you just pick who you want and who you think you need. Dara was on a series of bad decisions. Dara's team was different than the rest. Their film, Swipe, featured only queer relationships. So our film, we didn't actually set out to have queer characters. It just kind of ended up like that based on the fact that we didn't, like it didn't really matter. It didn't affect the story at all to have queer characters within it. That casual acceptance in creating visibly queer characters may be common in a university setting, but it's not that way in the film industry. According to a new survey released in May by media watchdog group GLAAD, the visibility of LGBT characters actually went down in 2016. GLAAD's Studio Responsibility Index looks at LGBT inclusion in films released by seven major film studios. Films are given the Vita Russa test, a test that asks three main questions. Does the film contain an identifiable LGBT character? Is the character known for more than their sexuality or gender identity? And would the plot significantly change if the character was removed? If the answer to all three questions is yes, the film passes. If not, then it does not. Dara says increasing the representation of LGBT people is something everyone should be thinking about, not just members in the community. I think that it's definitely a problem everyone should work on. Like, I know that I think queer creators, like, are probably more aware of it because they grew up not really seeing that in their, like, media. While Dara hopes more people will think about how to tell stories that reflect the diversity of human experience, she will keep working on creating representation in her work. Sometimes it should be intentional because, like, representation matters, so, like, you would want to write in a queer character, but it's also just kind of, like, that makes it kind of forced. So I think within my career, I'd probably just, like, if 
we have a queer character, we do. If we don't, we don't. But it's like, it's not a huge intentional idea. For The Outlet, I'm Michaela Ashburn. You wouldn't think that a place where you pay hundreds of dollars to get stabbed 80 to 150 times a second is where people go to enjoy their Saturday afternoons. Between the sounds of buzzing and the smell of antiseptic, the tattoo parlor is one place LGBTQ people have found they can get a permanent piece of art on their bodies that shows off their pride. Devin Hannon explored what it means to get a tattoo as an LGBTQ person. Why celebrate Pride for one week when you can celebrate it all year long? Ohio University student Roxanne Hunt chose to tattoo her body to express herself, not only in terms of what she likes, but also to show who she is. Tattoos are something that I really like. They're, they actually really help me with stress. Roxanne actually has three tattoos, but one more than the others has a lot of meaning. In a horizontal line across her ribcage, she shows a series of rainbow dots signifying her bisexual pride. Well, I got my tattoo because uh, before college I was really not open about my sexuality at all. And then I came to OU, which is a pretty liberal campus, and um, I really like discovered myself and I decided that I was okay with being out there and expressing my sexuality. Over at Thunder Bunny Tattoo on West Stimson, owner Alex Andrews has done a lot of tattoos in his 11 years on the job. By his count, roughly 12,000. And of those, more than 200 were like Roxanne's. He says tattoos can be a really visible way for LGBT people to quietly show others who they are. I've tried my best to sympathize with people in that, in that position and lend aid and comfort to them because they need it. And it's got to be hard to feel as if, you know, something that comes so natural to you is so evil to someone else. It helps bring the world a little bit out of the darkness a little bit more, you know, to be a little bit more open-minded about it. Now, tattoos can do more than just showing people who you are. Lindsay Fout, the chair of the Southeast Ohio LGBTQ Plus Center, says tattoos also bring members of the LGBTQ Plus community together. They want to show other people that that's who they are, and that's why they get tattoos, just to be a permanent part of their identity that people can Im immediately see. And especially if it's um, a flag that's not very identifiable, like if somebody outside of the community sees a trans flag or a bi flag, they might not immediately connect that that. So it's also kind of a way to show others that know and we're in a community together. So much so that Athens Pride Festival organizers are working with Thunder Bunny to fundraise for this June celebration. While the official contract is still in the drafting stages, Felt says that Thunder Bunny is talking about offering pride-related flash tattoos, which are pre-drawn and available immediately for walking customers in May to raise money for the festival in June. Well, we were looking for a tattoo parlor that either had LGBT artists or were allies. So that's why we reached out to Thunder Bunny and they were very open to the idea. Like Fout, Andrews agrees that getting a tattoo is just another way of showing pride within a community. Getting a tattoo just symbolizes that, you know, unity and the strength and the hardship, you know, and it's ultimately like what they're interested in, you know, they're interested in being free and being able to feel normal within it. And I think it's a normal thing to get a tattoo of it. Roxanne believes that getting a tattoo can be a reflection of yourself and not just of what you enjoy. 
I would say that if you want to get a tattoo to represent who you are, I would I would strongly suggest doing it. Like it was, it's really like therapeutic. For thousands of years, humans have tattooed their bodies. And for some people with pride tattoos, it is their way of saying we're here, we're queer. And just like these tattoos, we're not going anywhere. With The Outlet, I'm Devin Hannon. That's it for our show this week. Thanks for joining us. The Outlet is co-produced and hosted each week by me, Beth Greenman, and Elise Haymond. We're edited by Yatish Baidia, Susan Tebbin, and Allison Hunter. Adam Rich is our technical assistant. Our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos, and Dalton Pritt mixes our show. Subscribe to The Outlet on SoundCloud and iTunes, or find us online at woub.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Outlet underscore WUB and Instagram at WUB underscore Outlet. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. Thanks for listening.